Welcome to ProctorCast, where we bring you plain English interviews all about the most relevant procurement topics of the day in short, coffee break-sized episodes. Because hey, time's precious and you have got value to deliver. So now let's get straight into this week's show. Yes, hello, hello, and welcome to another ProctorCast coming at you again with what we've got this week is a bit of a treat for you because we've got a bit of a minor procurement celebrity uh, on the podcast today. So whether you're inserting us into your earballs while you're on your coffee break or walking the dog or doing a mass, mass ironing session, then listen up because I think this one is going to be full of value and insights for you because the gentleman I'm going to be interviewing today is none other than Peter Smith. And if you don't know who Peter is, he is the former SIPS president and also former editor of Spend Matters in the UK and Europe. And he's now a successful author and also venturing into uh, the nonprofit space with work he's doing around sustainable procurement. So Peter, a very warm welcome to ProctorCast and it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Well, well, thank you. And, and being described as a minor procurement celebrity, I, I, I will take that with me to my grave, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, are you more famous than Susan Walsh or not? Oh, I, I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, <laughs> and I mustn't say anything that could be taken out of context, as they say. <laughs> Okay, so let's start off, Peter. You've recently launched your second book, which is called Bad Buying. And uh, in the in the bit of a pre-roll before we hit record, we were talking about it being an opportune moment to to, to launch this. But but as it happened, it it doesn't actually contain uh, any of any of some of the the COVID mistakes or screw ups that have happened uh, as a result of government contracts. So. Um, what was the incentive that sort of led you to to write this as a, as a publication? Well, I, I've published a couple or had published a couple of books previously that were very much aimed at the professional procurement audience. And for years, I'd really wanted to write something that, that people outside procurement, general management, senior people in the civil service, maybe even salespeople, um, would like to read and find interesting and enjoyable but also would learn a bit about procurement, perhaps without realizing they were doing so. And I'd actually, I actually over the years started a few different attempts at writing this book. And after about two chapters, I'd realize I was descending into this is how to do category management and this is how to do, uh, do your cralgic analysis and all this. And then I'd look at it and go, well, no one outside procurement's going to read this. You know, they're not going to get past page 10. And then actually <laughs> almost two years ago, I had this flash of inspiration, uh, probably had a couple of beers, it was around Christmas, uh, and I thought, what does everybody like reading about? And the answer is things going wrong. So first thing you look <laughs> at in the newspaper, if you see a headline that says huge fraud discovered in government or corruption, or some firms wasted 500 million on an IT project that doesn't work, you know, it draws you in. And it doesn't matter if it's about something that you don't understand in depth. It's just sort of inherently interesting. And the other point about failure really is it's very sexy now in terms of the whole innovation, venture capital, private equity world. So if you have a great idea for a business and you go and see someone to get them to give you five million pounds or whatever, 
$5 million, uh, one of the questions I'm told they will ask you is, have you tried and failed with other businesses? Because they believe, probably rightly, that you learn a lot from that. So I think the argument is we can learn more from failure and mistakes sometimes than we can from when things just go right. And I thought, well, we're pretty good in procurement to talk about things going right. You know, we have lots of award ceremonies and so on, but we don't tend to talk very much about things going wrong for obvious reasons. So I thought it would make an interesting book. And uh, Penguin agreed with me, which was which was great. So uh, an unexpected, pleasant surprise when I, I pitched it to Penguin and they pretty much immediately said yes. And I think you hit on a rich vein that people like to read about things going wrong or, 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 or things going maybe not as planned. Um, but when I look when I look at that and when most people look at that, certainly news headlines and press, everyone's very keen to make sure that they get value for money as taxpayers. And I think everyone's probably more critical of how public sectors uh, organizations w- w- waste or squander public money as opposed to some of the stories coming out of the private sector. I mean, that's more corruption scandals tend to get more press, but but just general poor practice and governance tends to be more focused on the public sector. So um, why does it happen or how does it happen in the public sector? And and what are some of the differences between public and private sector, maybe in, in terms of the, the more rigid process that's out there? Um, that can differentiate sort of the different types of screw-ups that you can see in, in both private and public sector? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, my, my personal view, and, and in my, I, I was a procurement director before I started all this other stuff, and I worked in both public and private sectors for quite a lot of years. Um, my view is that the private sector has just as many cock-ups as the public sector. The main difference is you don't hear about them because you, you don't <laughs> yeah. have a national audit office, or their equivalent in different countries. You don't have the press all over you if if something goes wrong. So I know from working for big companies that you know, I suspect they waste just as much money, most of them, as, as any government department, but we don't hear about it. But government does have some particular pressures. And I think probably two of them, you mentioned the process. So of course, what that does do is it gives suppliers or potential suppliers a route to challenge decisions. So if you look at some of the big errors in the book, there's one to do with the Nuclear Decommissioning Agency, who frankly just ran a really, really bad procurement process. I mean, any procurement professional would look at how they did the evaluation of the bids and go, no, that's not not right. You know, you can't just change the scores that your evaluators gave on apparently a whim with, with no audit trail and just, oh, well, you know, we thought these scores would be better. Um, and it was just so obviously designed to get to a particular end result of choosing a supplier that when it came to court, the, the judge had quite an easy job of saying um, bad decision and uh, and gave Bechtel £100 million of public money. I'm not blaming Bechtel for that, but it was just awful procurement. Now, if I'd run a procurement process like that when I was at NatWest or Mars Confectionery, the supplier could have complained all they liked and I would have just told them to, to F off. You know, private company will make the decision. You may think your bid is, is better. Maybe it is better, but I don't have to choose it. And, and the private sector can, can do that. And, and then I think the second big difference with the public sector is just the political aspect. So there's another big sort of category of, of mistakes and cock-ups and fraud and corruption that are driven by the politics of it. Uh, and that can range from ministers just wanting to create a legacy, you know, and have some big 
glorious project that they'll be remembered by, uh, even if it's actually a really stupid thing to, to do or to buy, through to some globally, some incredibly huge corruption cases like the uh, Petrobran Odebrecht in South America, if you know that one, where political parties throughout the continent were being funded basically by procurement fraud uh, through government-owned oil companies and so on. So, you know, that that brings an extra dimension to the public sector, let's say. And I think this is especially relevant when you go into more developing markets, both in the private sector and in the public sector, that fraud and corruption is much more widespread in, in the economy at large. And, and, and it's it's a lot easier to get to, to get found out as a result. And yes, you only hear in the press of some of the bigger scandals, but that type of thing goes on all, all the time. And certainly, you know, in my in my own experience of uh, you gave a good example of uh, of not having a, a clear structure of how suppliers are going to be evaluated or, the, or that the particular buying organization changed that at short notice to rig it for a specific supplier. That's actually something that we're developing with a with with a consultancy that I'm doing a bit of work for that um, that that helps companies put tenders together to do weighted analysis if they don't have experience of the of the end to end sourcing process to enable it to be a more a more transparent process. But you're absolutely right. In the private sector, feedback is often more of a of a gift rather than a rather than a must have yeah. you know the, often the supplier is really grateful to have that type of feedback so yeah 100% yeah. agree with that it's uh, it, it's interesting i mean you make the point about the developing world i i do i do think sometimes in the uk in particular we can be a bit complacent and naive uh, and think that you know corruption isn't a problem here and what worries me with what we've seen through this year is it, it's a slippery slope and it can be quite a, a, what's the expression? You can descend the slippery slope quite rapidly if you're not careful. And yeah. I, I don't think we've seen necessarily lots of brown paper envelopes stuffed full of £50 notes changing hands around PPE supply or some of that. But we have seen contracts awarded without competition where there were conflicts of interest and where the excuse of, well, it was all very urgent doesn't really hold up. So not thinking PPE as much as some of the consulting contracts, PR companies, things cabinet office have done, where, frankly, there was time to run a quick call-off competition from a framework rather than just go, let's give this contract to someone that um, certain special advisors and ministers have worked with before. And, and I, I'm worried with Brexit as well that we, we might, politicians and maybe some senior civil servants, uh, we'll just think, well, this is a way we can do it in the future. Why should we bother with these long, tedious procurement processes? Let's just, you know, give contracts to firms that we know can do the work. We're not corrupt. You know, we, we know they're jolly good chaps. <laughs> but, but um, you know, if you do that for too long, we end up like some of those countries where you do need brown paper envelopes if you want to win government contracts. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I often say this to, I mean, I, I live in Bulgaria and I often say this to my Bulgarian friends that, can, that complain about um, government corruption out here is that it is a very, very fine line between lobbying and cronyism and outright backhanders and corruption. And, uh, and it's, you, you alluded to it perfectly, you know, at what, at what point does that gray become very black and white? It's, uh, it's, it's not an exact science, is it? And being able to feel for that is very much a, a skill that anyone that's involved in more forensic aspects of looking into a procurement process has to be very well honed on. I mean, the other thing is, and I, I put this in the book, I've got um, 
seven key anti-fraud and corruption principles, which which I'm not claiming are incredibly insightful and you know work of genius. Most of them would appear quite obvious to most procurement professionals. But but the fact is, if organisations followed those seven, there would be an awful lot less fraud and corruption. Some of them are very basic, but the number of cases when I was researching for the book that literally a budget holder, sometimes a procurement person, often not, often a line manager who's a budget holder, just creates fake companies that obviously they control the bank account of and fake invoices and signs off payments and they get made. Uh, and this has happened in the NHS, it's happened in the private sector, toys are a good example, um, it's happened in charities. And, and you think, you know, it's, you don't need very complex processes to stop that happening. Um, you need wow. more than one person being able to sign off money and you need proper checks on any firm that you're going to pay invoices to, that you're going to make payments to. And, and in most of these cases, a basic check would have thrown up that uh, Peter Smith, our IT director, has just signed this, this invoice for £10,000 to uh, PS Tech Limited. Let's do a company's house check. Oh, it appears that Peter Smith is the sole director of PS. It's also a director. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's literally as basic as that sometimes. Indeed. So I think we, we can both agree that this is going to be a boom industry in the years to come in terms of a more forensic investigation into certain procurement processes. But let's end this on a positive note, because you're actually involved in a, a sustainability initiative along with uh, with Mark Pereira of, of Visible uh, called Procurement with Purpose. So could you tell us a little bit about this just before we sign off? Because it's uh, it's something that we're obviously very happy to promote and, and, and keen to give airtime to as well, because I think we're all involved in making sure that as professionals, we're guardians of sustainable processes. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a hot topic, as you know well. And, and there's um, uh, there's also groups like the Sustainable Procurement Pledge, which has really got some momentum now, which is which is great. Um, and it's really that drive to say, it's almost the opposite of bad buying, you know, <laughs> buying can be bad and procurement can waste money, but actually procurement can save the world, if you want to slightly exaggerate. So the way organisations spend their money can do a huge amount to help in terms of environmental, social and economic wider purpose. Um, so this is really something Mark and I feel strongly about. Uh, and we thought, well, we can start putting some IP together, some good case studies, talk to interesting people and interview them. So we've been doing that on the website and I've been working on uh, a draft of what will probably be the next book. I don't think it'll be published by Penguin or anybody. I think it, it may be more uh, lower key in terms of it'll be aimed at the procurement professional because it'll it'll have some, hopefully some guidance to people as to how they can actually do this in their own organisation. So, so I've finished the first draft now. So hopefully sometime in 2021, there may be a Procurement with Purpose book coming out. So it's really more around sharing awareness of case studies and, and what it's all about through through different avenues of content. Yeah, and I think talking to people, what, what a lot of people say is there's a lot of enthusiasm and there's a lot of good intent. But when you actually come down to, I don't know, OK, I'd like to I'd like to promote a more diverse supply chain in terms of ownership of our suppliers and, you know, diversity, whether it's racial, sexual, disability, whatever. Uh, but how do I actually do that? You know, there's no magic button you can press that says I want 20 percent of my suppliers to be SMEs or 10 percent to be diverse owned suppliers. So, so how do I actually do it? 
And that seemed to me to be a bit of a gap. So I'm, I'm trying to sort of address that with some thoughts on actual coming back to things like tendering processes. How do you build things into your actual procurement processes that might help you end up with a more diverse supply chain, for instance? So we're all looking forward to see that sometime next year then, Peter. So if just before we sign off, if anyone would like to get a copy of your latest book, uh, is Amazon the best place to order it? Or do you also have a website where people can <laughs> order a, a copy from as well? No, I decided not to do the, um, you know, running to the post office every day with with uh, uh, copies of the book. So, of course, we could we could talk about whether Amazon is is good for the world or not with our procurement <laughs> purpose hats on. Um, you can order it from Amazon or Waterstones or your independent bookseller or, or pretty much anyone. But uh, no, I'm not doing it directly myself. So, uh, yeah, all the best with the book, Peter, and with your future ve- with your future ventures. It's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, keep in touch, and yeah, best wishes for for everything that you've got in the pipeline. Thank you for inviting me, James. It's been uh, it's been very enjoyable. Thank you. Some very wise insights there from Peter, who obviously has a wealth of experience in both public and private sector procurement about just some of the little things that you can do to make sure that things don't go wrong very, very quickly if you don't take the right precautions. Next time on ProctorCast, I'm actually going to be interviewing a lady from the nonprofit sector to talk about some of the differences and challenges of procurement in the charity and nonprofit space. So definitely check that one out. It's something that hasn't really had much attention in the press and we'd like to change that. And also just a quick request before we sign off, if you like ProctorCast, then please either follow or subscribe to us wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. It means a lot to us as we can grow our listenership. So thank you for joining me and see you again next time. Cheers. Cheers.